Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. For the next half hour, you'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the silver guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back. I just read an article online stating that it looks like the CFTC silver manipulation investigation is set to go away after four years. Basically what happened was the Financial Times put up a story that the four-year ongoing silver manipulation investigation was basically with not enough evidence and, and nothing was really going to happen. That's kind of the essence of it. And right after that, Bart Chilton, who is the uh, head of this committee, I guess, for looking at this investigation, came out and said that this was a premature article and it was inaccurate. And so since Bart is the commissioner of the agency, he you know, carries a lot of clouds. So now we're kind of confused. Is it going away? Is it going away? So if it hasn't gone away or doesn't go away, then the Financial Times is almost obligated to print some kind of retraction or some kind of follow-up story. That's my opinion. It's a strong one. I think that's the case. But moving on, there's a lot of internet talk about what has happened, transpired, what could take place in the future regarding the CFTC investigation. Is summertime a good time for things to die like this? Well, summertime is normally the lowest interest in the metals for a variety of reasons, but particularly the fund managers and the traders in Europe take these long vacations and there's just not as much activity in the markets. But, yeah, it's probably less interest in the financial sector as a whole, probably globally, than any other time. Nonetheless, when we have something as small as a silver market that so few people pay attention to, the mainstream would not really even notice it. However, the amount of people that have been turned on to what's been going on in the silver market, and particularly by a gentleman named Ted Butler, Ted is without a doubt, spearheaded more than anybody by far that there has been some kind of, I think he's the word, manage or manipulation in the silver market for a very, very long time. 
And just for the record, I agree that there is manipulation in the silver market. However, and I've never discussed this with Ted, but the way I see it is that the long-term trend can't be manipulated. There's no way. The market forces are greater. But within the trend, it can be manipulated, and it has been again and again and again. Well, how do they manipulate them, David? Well, the way they manipulate it is any market moves on buying and selling. And when you have these massive sales on silver, sometimes as high as like a year's worth of supply in one day or within minutes, and this has happened a few times, it's going to take the market down. Now, any idiot that knows how markets move, they move by buying pressure or selling pressure. So you know ahead of time, if you're going to sell a year's worth of silver supply with a couple of mouse clicks, you know for an absolute 100% certainty that the market's going to move down. And for anyone to get into a court of law and say, oh, no, we're just making a trade or we're hedging is pure BS. It's impossible. And the way, of course, it's done is this electronic trading and, of course, the inability of the CFTC to, to actually adhere to their own rules. In other words, you cannot have that kind of concentration and sales without moving the market. And they know it, but now we're in, a, in kind of a catch-22. What's the catch-22 here? Well, the catch-22 is the idea that they're darned if they do and they're darned if they don't. Basically, the CFTC is in a situation that they've already done two investigations, so they found nothing. Now they've gone on four years. If they come out and say, well, we found something, then they look bad from their previous thing. And as Ted points out in an article with, uh, that I posted on my Twitter, and it's on SilverSeek as well, SilverSeek.com, is that to admit there's manipulation at this point could really disrupt the markets. Now, he says could, and I agree. I don't know. What I do know, and I've said this maybe before Ted or not, not that we were competitors at all, but that I have not put the nearly effort into this that others have, and I think it's good that they have. I felt from the beginning that the authorities would do absolutely nothing, or if they did anything at all, be a whitewash, it'd be very slap on the wrist, wouldn't have any real meaning, no real clout, there'd be wiggle room, and even if they came out with anything with a little bit of teeth in it, which again, I doubt highly, that they, meaning these people that run these markets up and down, would be doing it in the over-counter market, they'd do it in other derivatives, they do it with other methods outside of the purview of the CFTC. So that's been my strong stand. I'm glad that someone took up this charge and led it to bring the awareness. Now my point, the market doesn't really care if we write letters to the CFTC and jump up and down and make all this noise or there's an investigation. The market is stronger and more powerful than anyone. And the point is that once we get to a situation where the tightness of the supply is so great that this thing is going to explode, the benefit to the people that own silver and understand manipulated markets is it will overshoot because there's many analogies, you've heard them all else, but you know, putting a beach ball underwater, you can hold it there for a while, but once you let go, bang, it really goes. And this is kind of the analogy for the silver market. Because of this constant pressure to hold the price probably lower than it would be otherwise, you're going to get an explosion. And once this kind of cat is out of the bag, officially or unofficially. Unofficially is more likely where, you know what, silver's in tighter supply, tighter supply, tighter supply. You know what, somebody can't even get it on time and that type of thing starts hitting the internet. Then you're going to have a feeding frenzy in my view. You're going to have people that say, oh wow, I'm getting on now. Silver went up two bucks yesterday, it's going up two tomorrow and it goes up four the next day or whatever. And I really don't like those kind of markets. I mean, they're very, very difficult to trade. Of course, since I'm long and I expect this to be moving up substantially, I'll be benefiting greatly. The problem with these kind of massive moves like that in a short period of time is it's really hard to get in and out and there's all kinds of volatility. But that's what I believe will take place. So whatever the official wording is, 
from the authorities, it doesn't really change the significance of what has been going on over time. Can we expect silver stocks to follow in the volatility? Absolutely. It will happen, especially if I'm correct about silver being in a very tight supply. There's people that can't buy silver or perhaps think, you know, it's back above 50. Now I know it was once at five, ten years ago. I don't want to buy it. It's too high. It's too volatile. But don't buy the silver stocks. In fact, that's exactly what I think will happen further on in the cycle is that people that missed it. And quite honestly, I think that's the way to catch up to the people that were able to buy silver at between five and ten and gold between, say, 300 and 500 is to buy the underlying mining equities because these things are so beat up right now they represent the best value in the precious metals arena and they are such a small amount of the stock market as a whole that once money starts pouring into these equities they'll overshoot quite a bit i think so there's lots of opportunity ahead there is just a very volatile situation and it won't i don't think take much to ignite it we'll be right back the ellis martin report is sponsored by el tigre silver corp trading on the tsx bench Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 BC. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral prolific and mining friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp's 5,000 meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. We're just over two weeks away from Labor Day weekend and a possible fall rally. This would be the time to make a few strategic investments, whether it be bullion or precious metal stocks, correct? I believe so. I mean, I'm on record with my paid membership in the public domain doing shows like yours. I said long-term buy-and-hold investors that are going to take possession of the metal at anything under 30 is a great buy. Now, we've been under 30 for quite some time. Now, when I first made that statement, one of my new subscribers said, Oh, you're, you know, you're a genius. It's under 30, and it popped up above 30. And he wanted to know what to do, and, you know, I can't give individual advice. I mean, you know, each individual kind of has to make up their own mind. If he had a huge position, he probably should have hedged it once it got above 30 and made sure that he hedged below 30. The point is, I'm on record as saying that. I'll stand by that. I don't think that we're going much lower. Spot has bought more silver through the Physical Silver Trust. I don't know how much has been delivered, but I'm going to try and find out. And regardless, last time that he made a purchase of 10 million ounces, this one is about 8 million, it moved the market up over $2. So if he started, you know, the 27 level, 28, 29, 30-ish, something like that, I expect that. I really do. Now, time will tell if I'm right. How does one become a follower of David Morgan and the Morgan Report? quite easy. There's several ways. In fact, the one that seems to be the easiest and most popular is to go to our YouTube channel, and that's just called Silver Guru, S-I-L-V-E-R-G-U-R-U. I put out all of the audios I do like yours, Ellis, the videos that I make independently, uh, some of the conferences that are filmed, just about anything in the public domain goes on that channel. Let's say you're a little on the lazy side. We basically collect those during the week and we send them to you weekly on the free letter. And that's absolutely free. You just go to themorganreport.com and sign up for the weekly. It's 
usually on Saturday, e-letter, and that usually, uh, again, collects all of the audios and videos that have been during the week. In addition to that, we usually take a question a week and put that in the report or into that free letter. On top of that, there is a paid service. There's three of them. They're beginner, intermediate, and advanced. The beginners buy and hold investors. The intermediate is look over my shoulder with the first letter, and that talks about intermediate term moves in the markets. And the last one is the call to mastermind series, and that's for advanced, very dedicated investors, particularly in the precious metals. David, once again, thanks for joining me today on the program. My pleasure is all mine. Thank you. I've been speaking with the silver guru, David Morgan. Find him at themorganreport.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at expeditionmining.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. It's always good to be with you, Ellis. We're in the middle of August and winding out the summer before Labor Day. Isn't this the time to position ourselves with precious metal stocks before a possible fall rally? This just seems like an incredible time to me. What's interesting is that gold and silver, they're inching up little by little, and it's happening in such a subtle way. You know, I think everybody's just kind of lulled to sleep. And a little bit of activity starting in some of the stocks moving up. It's just reaching the point. I think it's going to explode to the upside. Surely this is a great time in this really quiet period of time. Dust off your favorite list of resource stocks or join us with our services. We've got a lot of great names that we follow coming from different perspectives. And it's pretty cool. But I think the message is listeners need to be on board real soon. With the market more or less flat, though, and no real exciting trading activity going on at the moment in general... How are you picking stocks? How do we figure any of this out in the two weeks left in the month? A very simple question, and not always a very, very simple answer, because I kind of approach these markets in multiple different ways. Number one, we have to you know find companies that we like, and what we deem that got good management, that's easy to say. How the hell do you do that, okay? The one example I always like to throw out is a big company, New Gold. So we've got Pierre Lassonde associated with New Gold. Production, serious cash balance. Hard to argue with the story. Production in three or four different countries, Canada, Mexico, Australia, United States, and it's like, man, that's a good story. That's one that's really, really simple. Once we find a company, and of course, we do like to also see that the insiders are actually buying on some of these stocks. They're not always buying in our stock, but we'd like to think that it's, you might say, insider neutral. If there's little or no insider activity where we cannot say that we're aggressively bullish just because of the insiders, and it's not more 
more than one individual selling that we're going to say we've got to be insider just to be insider negative we just would not touch it if we've got multiple insiders that are selling that stock do you expect insider activity to pick up during the next couple of weeks well it sure would not surprise me the insiders are still sniffing around a lot of our companies that we follow from that perspective if you find a company you like you got the management the insiders are buying. Now, what you think is like, let's just stay with the new gold theme, okay? As an investor, I always ask myself, okay, is there another way I can play the new gold story? Do they have a long-term warrant that will give me better leverage where I can make more money down the road when the bull market gets going again? We're going to make more money by buying the warrant than the common stock. And in the case of new gold, yes, they do have a long-term warrant. In this case, they have a warrant A that goes out to 2017. I mean, almost five years from today. That's pretty incredible. Interestingly, too, the last day or two, I've been spending a lot of time refreshing. In our warrant database, I have some other detail on all of the leaps, like options, but long-term options, on all of the resource companies. We brought this up to date. A lot of the resource companies, again, New Gold included, has a long-term leap. Right now, the leaps, all of this data is all available from Chicago Board of Trade, cboe.com. It takes you hours, literally, to go through to call out just the resource stocks. What I do is I just make this available to all of our subscribers at preciousmetalswarrants.com. You just click on a link. I've got it all right there for you. For all of the companies, the link that takes you straight to the option chain, the leap chain for that particular company. So it's really pretty cool. Right now, the furthest the leaps are going out in time is January 2014. We're sitting here, what now, 18 months, year and a half, muscle manos. Interestingly, this is the time frame, January, February 2014, that I see based on Fibonacci work, etc., that we could have a significant peak in the market. So I think our timing could be really good, even though I would love to have more time than January 2014. And that's the feathers that these go out. What would you like to have more time for? Well, I'd like to have more time on those leaps. In other words, to buy more time than January 2014. So that gives us 18 months. And of course, if this rally gets started really, really soon, I think this 18 months is going to give us an incredible time window to capture some great gains. Now, the reason that we can't get too much involved in the options and leaps, as you can imagine, on all of the resource companies that do have the options or leaps trading, there are so many different variables that come into play. The expiration date can vary you know, company to company, whether you want something that's just six months or a year or a year and a half, etc. So a lot of different factors, a lot of different strike prices come into play. It makes the warrant analysis really, really simple because with the warrant, there's only one warrant normally. And here's the expiration date and here is the exercise price. That makes it very easy for us to do some leverage calculations, which we provide all of our subscribers. They all get to see these leverage calculations. But when it comes to the options or the leaps, there's so many different choices. It's impossible for us to go through. Now, what we have done here over the last couple of days is we're putting comments where we feel that we've got some relevant comments on some of the companies that have leaps to just say, this looks interesting, that looks interesting, encouraging you to, if one is so inclined to be looking at the leaps, possibly we just give you one or two choices on strike prices. And normally we'd be looking at those probably strike prices that would have the largest open interest of number of contracts that are open because this is going to get us back to liquidity. 
buying stocks, we're normally looking for the liquidity factor. When it comes to options, this can also be a factor as well. you got to be fairly savvy in order to know how to do this. But with the links that we are providing in the LEAP section that we're updating here, we're hyperlinking everything back to Yahoo, to the LEAPs on all of the different companies that do have LEAPs that are trading. I'm personally kind of excited about some LEAPs that are out there too. There's a whole lot of resource companies that, let's face it, do not have warrants trading but they do have some leaps that many of them that'll take us out to January 2014. That's pretty cool. Instead of buying the common stock, you can actually take a look at some of these longer term leaps. Again, that's kind of on my short time frame of 18 months out from right now. But I think that's just enough that's going to give us all the goody here. So again, while these stocks are still really low in price, I think this is a great time to be considering this. What can our listeners do to get educated? Anybody listening, if they are not subscribers, if they have not been a subscriber in some time, at least to PreciousMetalsWarrants.com, give it a shot because I'm excited about what we're able to provide you on the warrants, but as well on these long-term leaps because everybody listening here is in the resource game. And you're going to be excited to see all of the companies that have leaps that are trading. And I give you the link to these leaps. And it's right here in front of you. I'm excited about this whole sector. Do you teach newcomers about warrants and leaps? On the warrants, we'll admit there's not a lot of information out there in the universe, even though they go back into the 1920s with warrants. If you'll come to our website, preciousmetalswarrants.com, you're going to find that we created a learning center. And so we've got a lot of the basics, the definitions and, and examples and all of this for you. Glossary of terms all laid out. Because it is an awareness, and I won't mention names, but there are some other newsletter writers that have been in business for 20 or 30 years, and months ago, one of them asked me, said, Dudley, what is a warrant? And I'm thinking, oh my God, these are professionals, and you think that they would know all of this stuff, and they don't. It's incredible. But there we've got a learning center on our website. Now, when it comes to options and leaps, the big company is Chicago Board of Trade, the CBOE.com, where there's all kind of educational information and all of this. So, you know, we give you the link to their website. They're the experts when it comes to the option. You really think about it. I think what happened probably back in the 1960s, 1970s, long time ago, right? Some of our, a lot of listeners weren't even born, probably. And it's like back then, guys, warrants that was the only game in town it was almost pre-options and leaps and there was another service by Sidney Freed the RHM warrant survey I was aware of this back then I was a subscriber and I've basically follow all the teachings that Sidney Freed did way back in the 60s and 70s very very simple but what happened was around 1980, think about it, the Chicago Board of Trade, the options started trading, it all came into being. So now, all of the marketing dollars, the big brokerage firms, you'll see everybody's fighting for your business to be an option trader or to be a, a futures trader. And why is that? Commissions. It's all about commissions. And so warrants literally have just gotten left out of the educational process and everything. We're one of the few or the only one that's really got a service that's going to give you uh, leverage calculations, going to give you all of the warrants trading on the resource sector as well. 
We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has assets in the Yukon Territory as well as Nevada. Over 12.5 million ounces of gold have been produced from the Yukon since 1896, with a present-day worth of approximately $15.6 billion, and the territory is still relatively unexplored. Many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies. Expedition has recently begun its Joy and Mount Mervyn projects. These properties are located along the Rackla Gold Belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit their website, ExpeditionMining.com. And we're back. Dudley, let's talk about your other service. I can't wrap up before we mention the other service that I'm associated with is the greedyguru.com because this is an incredibly different approach to the markets. Some of the same companies will overlap a little bit, but in this service where the team has access to 20, 25 different newsletters, so basically we know who the pros out there are and what they are the stocks that they're recommending. We massage all this data and we're looking for those companies that We've got three or more analysts or newsletter writers recommending. This gets our list down literally to 20 companies, more or less. And even the greedy guru and me as the spokesperson, then we make our final decision. Do we even want to recommend that company even if you've got three other analysts following it? What does the insider trading activity look like? So we put our own filters on top of what the other analysts have already done. So totally different approach very clean, very simple. There's not a lot of changes that take place within that greedy guru services because the analysts are just not jumping in, jumping out from one day, one week, one month at a time on different stocks. And so there's not a lot of changes. But those stocks that are recommended, you have to think, it's not just you out there that think it's a good deal. It's three to four other analysts that think it's a good deal. And some of those companies are recommended in the Greedy Guru section are actually recommended by five or six different newsletters or analysts, giving you a higher confidence factor when you buy those stocks. That's a great service as well. Dudley, again, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. It's been very informative. I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Always a pleasure, Ellis. I've been chatting with Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at expeditionmining.com. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its double zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Alice. Now, I wasn't aware of all the projects that Alkane Resources has had over the years, evidently. We've covered the Dobo Zirconia project. We've spoken about the Tomlingley Gold project. And then, 
seemingly out of nowhere, while everyone is on summer vacation here in North America. You sell your interest in a McPhillamy's Gold Project, a joint venture that you have with Newmont Exploration, a subsidiary of the giant Newmont Mining for a paltry $75.6 million. Mm, Correct. (coughs) Now, why didn't we know about this? This is great news. Congratulations. What are you going to do with all that cash or stock? Um, well, look, it's interesting. It goes back a long way, and it's, it's just part of our exploration activities. And because when you have development projects, people don't take a lot of interest in what you're doing in an exploration sense. But we actually discovered McPhillamy's back in 2006, and by 2009, I think, uh, or 2010, reported the three million ounce resource there. And at that stage, the joint venture was with Newmont. Uh, they came in and they earned a 51% interest. And sometimes the markets tend to take a sort of a, a light, slight negative view of when you're in joint venture with majors. I mean, you have 49%, therefore the major dominates the timetable and dominates what's being done. So in that sense, it sort of got pushed down the recognition pile, even though it probably still rates as one of the best greenfield gold discoveries in Australia in the last sort of five years or so. So yeah, it was important. It was a very important to us. When you have a major like Newmont who's there looking all the time around the world at all their different opportunities, McPhillamy's probably slipped down their uh, list of priorities a little bit and it wasn't going anywhere and fortunately the Regis opportunity came out, Regis resources opportunity came out and it seemed like a smart thing to do, a solar project 100% because obviously Newmont were party to that as well and then we felt we'd sit back and hang on to the Regis shares and uh, go for a ride with them and, and get some return out of the project when they put it into production. Now the good thing about Regis is that they're already a gold producer, probably heading towards 300,000 ounces a year and maybe greater and then with McPhillamy's coming on stream in maybe three or so years time they might be a half million ounce gold producer so they're very substantial group and very substantial production capacity and the shares to us if you like going into the bank account they'll sit there uh, we have no need or desire to sell the shares at this point in time but we'll sit on it and um, just see what happens and it's interesting I mean given that the deal was done at a, at a base price of $4.20 and today Regis are already trading at $4.70 something so we probably made 10 million dollars since we did the deal a week or so ago so it's it's useful but it's a bit like a bank account having it sitting there in the bank account and hopefully accumulating over the next year or so what was the cost to acquire and explore or define that project what was your investment our investment's actually quite small i mean we acquired the ground by applying for an exploration license i mean we apply for these licenses as long as there's no conflicting land use or other exploration titles in there we were granted that back in gosh about 2000 we did some work on it in 2000 and then sort of slowly sort of got tied up doing Tommingley and tied up doing Dubbo and that's ultimately why we farmed it out to Newmont. I mean they came to us in 2000 and said look we've done a bit of a a geological analysis of that region Uh, you've got some good properties would you be interested in joint venturing and at that stage the prime target was a different project not McPhillamy's but the nice thing about it is that because they had no presence in that region they allowed us to do all the exploration work we put up the programs and budgets they provided the cash to do that and really we finally convinced them that this area we call McPhillamy's Philomies was worth drilling. So Alcane's exposure into the project is the total project is probably less than half a million dollars. Now over the subsequent years since the joint venture got rolling Newmont have probably spent a total of 15 million dollars. So it's a good return for them and it's an extremely good return for us. 
it's an incredible return for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's fabulous. I mean, in a technical sense, I mean, I'm a geologist, and you know, I know how difficult it is to find three million ounce gold deposits. So I guess technically, my internal technical body was saying to me, you know, don't sell. But in a corporate sense, it was a very very smart and logical thing to do, and it just helps Alkane going forward over the next sort of four or five years. Well, sure, that's a possible $5 billion resource. That's a liberal number, and certainly some shareholders might be saying, sure, that's 150 now, but what could it be worth down the road, and why aren't you developing it when Dubbo generates enough cash to get that into production? But McPhillamy's never been your main focus, has it? No, it hasn't, and, and we understand those questions. In fact, we got some of those questions here when we made the announcement as to why we aren't doing it. But the issue really is you can only do so much. I mean, we've got Tommingly ready to go, and Dubbo a year or so down the road ready to go. We would have had to have gone and bought Newmont out, so we would have had to buy them. They, they may not have wanted to sell to us, but we would have had to buy them out first, then do all the exploration and feasibility study work. That would probably take us, say, three years and cost us $100 million dollars, maybe more, then to a point where you've then got to find another 200 $300 million to develop the project. So we just weighed that up against where we're going with Tamingley, where we're going with Dubbo and some of the other exploration projects and said, look, because of the joint venture structure, we're really better off taking that in shares in, in somebody like Regis at this point in time because we know that ultimately over some over the next two or three years we'll actually get a very substantial return back out of Regis without the risk and without the difficulties of putting another project into production. Did Newmont do all the work in getting this property out of their inventory and yours? They had an interest because they already are a shareholder in Regis Resources and it had some merit to them to be able to do a transaction for shares because it then increased their shareholding in Regis. And like all big companies, they're always looking at a way to have the resources, to be able to quote the resources and also quote production. And they have this magic thing called equity accounting. So let's say that Newmont go up to 20% of Regis, it means that they they can equity account 20% of Regis's total resources in the ground as 20% allocated to Newmont. And probably more importantly, when Regis go into production, or Regis are already in production, 20% of that output can be allocated and say, well, that's Newmont production as well. So it's a pretty neat deal in the sense that if you're a major company and you don't want the additional risk and time involved in, in say, developing a smaller project, it's a great way of adding to your perceived output by having this equity accounting concept. So they had motivation to do the with Regis as well. Not So we didn't put it up for, for tender, we didn't put it out for sale generally. It was a deal specifically you know, targeted for Regis. So is your remaining Tomley Gold project potential takeout candidate? Not really. It's too small. It's a modest project. It's probably 800,000 ounces in the ground there today. Over time, we think we could push it to a million ounces, but then the resource ounces sort of generally only equate or convert about 50 to 70% get converted into production ounces. So it's a relatively small project, and the reason we're committed to developing it is that it provides us with that bread and butter income, that $20, $30 million a year income that will generate for us it's just a very helpful backstop or insurance policy should for some reason Dubbo get pushed out another year or two or also to help us with our other exploration projects. And we have three very good exploration projects in the same region, two of which we could easily turn into ore bodies in the next two or three years. So that cash flow coming out of Tom and Lee's, if you like it, it's funds the company independent of Dubbo. So that's the reason we've wanted to hang
hang on to it. Certainly we've had the you know, the broking fraternity say to us a couple of times, oh, you need to split the company up between a gold company and a rare metal, rare earth company. And our view is it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, really, it's the cash flow that matters. It doesn't matter to me whether you're producing it from gold or copper or rare earths or widgets or something else for that matter. It's the cash flow that people should, should acknowledge. And then you get valued on cash flow eventually, not on the commodity. And the diversity gives you some flexibility, gives you some, again, insurance. You know, if the gold price of dives in the next two or three years, well, we've got Dubbo sitting there, we've got other copper projects. It might be vice versa. Maybe the rare earth market, again, just wild to wild speculation falls apart totally. Then we've always got the gold as a backstop and the gold income. So we publicly state we're a diversified company. The difference is that that diversification is very geographically focused. One small tight area in the state of New South Wales is where we see all of our developments coming. So it's a long-winded way of answering your question, but basically at this stage we see Tommingley as an important part of the development of the company. You did just mention copper, yes? Yes, we do have a copper exploration project, yep. Now copper is a metal that does well when rare earths and rare metals do well or are in demand. What kind of copper resource do you have and how do you expect to monetize that? in the future. Right now we've got a small defined copper resource. It's only about two million tons of one percent copper. It's a relatively small resource but it is open pitable and it does produce a very nice clean copper concentrate. We think we can double or triple that size over the next couple of years and get it up to say five to eight million tons. It becomes a worthwhile project. Again not a large copper project but something that's there and there's a market for the metal. We also have another exploration project nearby which is a potentially much larger a copper gold porphyry system. For example, Newcrest, you know, Australia's uh, still biggest gold producer or, or domestic gold producer, is about 100 kilometres down the road from where we're working. Now, that deposit that they have there is something like 40 or 50 million ounces in ground. Now, I'm not saying we found that, but this other exploration project is the same geological environment but it takes time to explore these and to develop the potential resources. So we've got a copper resource there, small, but can be expanded, and nearby another sort of copper gold porphyry system, which again needs exploration. So these are the pipeline of projects that we see Alkane looking to develop over the next three to five years. And you're right about copper. I mean, it still remains an important industrial metal. It's not up there with, say, iron ore or coal or those metals, but it's a very important metal in any industrialisation. And you look at the graphs that companies like Rio Tinto and BHP put out, they'll show how copper growth is dependent upon the stage of development of a country. Now, as you get up into stable development in most Western countries, for example, the copper demand is fairly flat, but maybe grows at 3 or 4% per annum. Countries like China, which are in this enormous growth phase, that copper demand can be 10 to 15% per annum. So there's still a big demand going forward for copper in the next sort of 10 to 20 years as countries like China and India industrialise. It's a good metal. It's an interesting metal to be involved in, and so we see a lot of future in it. We've touched on this previously, but I'll repeat it for the benefit of our new listeners, Ian. This is not a new company, and years ago you spent quite a bit of time staking out the area in New South Wales with the knowledge that down the road, or in the future, there'd be a market for everything in a polymetallic sense that you have found. That's always been the strategy. It's something we've believed in in the metals business. We believed in where it's going. We've certainly believed in the rare metal, rare earth business. And said I've been involved in it for 25 years. Probably 15 years ago, you know, I felt we were about to go through the transition where these metals would really start to come into their into their own as being you know, new age metals or environmentally necessary metals and 
that's all been part of the general strategy. So you're right, I mean, the company's been around for many years, but going back uh, to our involvement, it's probably the early 90s, 1990 onwards, uh, we really did put a big effort into building up our land position and then ultimately having the strategy of multiple developments. Let's talk about rare earths and rare metals specifically. While two of the largest companies in the space, Lioness and Molycor, have experienced a bit of a takedown, and some of my peers are calling the sector somewhat of a bubble, the fact remains that you have memorandums of understandings, or MOUs, for probable offtake agreements for everything you'll have coming out of the double area, correct? That's correct, yes. You're right about the negative sentiment that's crept into the industry. And it, I mean, it's generally wrong. I mean, people have got to stand back. Okay, we did go through an enormous bubble-type effect back in uh, early last year, middle of 2011, but it's now starting to stabilise, and I think over the next year or so, you'll start to see prices stabilise again as demand picks up. And again, we're, unfortunately, we're going through another flat demand Time. But as demand picks up, those prices will start to come back to a level which is then long-term sustainable. And sure, the guys like Mollycore and Linus are going to be there at the forefront with their big light rare earth production. There is still scope for other companies like ourselves with four to 5,000 tonnes a year of production, which aren't impacted to the same degree as you know, the bigger guys, Linus and Mollycorp. So it's still a very good business. It's going through another transition that it will go through over the next, as I said, one to two years. The Chinese are looking at it much more long-term sustainable now than what they're doing to the industry inside China. So it is a good business, but the trouble is that the market has just taken this very negative view on it at present and uh, is not standing back and looking at the fundamentals when they're trying to value these companies. And unfortunately, we see it quite often. Regardless of all of that negative news in the rare metal space, Tom Lee is about to go into production. You've just offloaded the McPhillamy Gold Project for $76 million or shares equivalent. And then, of course, the Dubbo Zirconia Project will go into production, generating half a billion dollars a year for perhaps 100 years. So if you're looking for value in the sector at all, Alcane looks like a reasonable risk. Absolutely. I mean, we would agree with you completely. But it's getting that message across. It's very hard. There's still a lot of skepticism, and particularly when you start talking capital costs of a billion dollars. You know, people always say to you, well, how are you going to raise that? How are you going to raise that in this market? The short answer is, look, we're not trying to raise a billion dollars today. Maybe 12 months, 18 months' time when we need the money, that's when we're back out there and there are multiple ways to do it. So people shouldn't get too negative at this stage about the industry and you know, about where Alcane will be in you know, two years' time or three years' time. Well, Ian, it's been a fascinating conversation this week. We've covered a lot of proverbial ground, so to speak, in the mining business. I look forward to speaking with you again, as you have promised continuous news flow with regard to Alcane and you have not disappointed. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks, Ellis. It's nice to talk to you, too. Thank you. I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, CEO and Managing Director of Alcane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Find their logo and click through to the Alcane website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join me now for an interview with Adrian O'Brien, president of Kermode Resources, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol KLM. Kermode is an exploration and development company with a high-grade gold project in mining-friendly Nevada and two more in Canada, one of them holding a 43101 compliant 495,000 ounces of gold. We've got a great deal to talk about. Let's begin. Adrian, 
Welcome to the program. Ellis, thanks very much for having me. Now, Kermode has three major projects in its portfolio. Which of these projects are you most excited about? Certainly, the project we would be most focused on and the one I think is the most exciting is definitely our Eastgate project, which is about two hours east of Reno, Nevada. Nevada is a long-time mining state, a friendly jurisdiction, no political issues whatsoever. Not every company in the sector is as well positioned geographically. There is no question in my mind whatsoever that when you think about mining, you know, you think about that sort of historic side of mining and exploration and that, your mind obviously goes to Nevada almost right away. You picture the old Miner 49er up there in the dusty foothills looking for gold. I think Nevada evokes that image almost instantaneously for most people. Of course, above and beyond that, you've got some of the biggest gold discoveries ever made in that state. You think gold, you think northern Nevada. You know, it's really that kind of thing. How was the Eastgate Gold Project selected specifically for Komodi? We were very fortunate to even get a chance to look at Eastgate. Eastgate has a pretty interesting background. Uh, The property was discovered like in the very late 1800s, early 1900s. There's a big vein system running for a couple thousand feet that's known. We think it seems to go a little further to the north, but it's going to take some work to figure all that side of it out. But this is a project that has been sampled and drilled, reverse circulation drilling, by a few different majors and one junior company from, say, the early or mid-1980s through to about 2002. Very limited amount of work that's been done, but what that work that had been done proved was that there's a system there that's running high-grade gold, and when I say high-grade, you get a 1,200-foot section at surface that based on historical stuff, I mean, none of this is 43-101 compliant, but we're working on all of that going forward. You've got a section that averages almost 0.6 ounces per ton over 1,200 feet, and you've got six historic mines on the property, and you've got six drill intersections at depths that range anywhere from 10 feet of 0.2 ounces up to 15 feet of 0.343 ounces, which they're historic numbers, but they tell you there's a lot of gold in the system, and that gives us a heck of a target to start with. What's involved in making Eastgate 4301 compliant and further identifying the resource? Well, really what we have to do at this point, this historic work that's taken place, again, it was done by majors, so we have a fair amount of belief in that work and faith that it was done well. For us right now, we need to go back in, and one of the most compelling things about this project is that all of the historic drilling that was done was reverse circulation drilling, which is a method that's used as opposed to core drilling, and you see drill core, and companies can use that, which gives you a very good look at the geology underground. But reverse circulation drilling is something used in dry climates, not quite a bit. It's much cheaper and a lot easier, but it doesn't give you the most accurate depiction of the geology or the mineralization you're finding, other than it's a good pathfinder, and it tells you there's something there. So to get a really good handle on this project, there's really one simple approach, and that's that it needs to be core drilled. So we need to go back to those areas of those historic drill intersections and the areas with some of that mineralization, and we need to see just what exactly we're dealing with based on core drilling and do a proper core drilling campaign, get a really good look at the geology and figure out exactly what's happening. We know we have a big low sulfidation epithermal gold system. We know we've got high-grade gold in the system. We know we have a vein running for a couple thousand feet. We know we have probably six veins on the property, and we know we have these historic mines. But what we don't know is what exactly is going on at depth. We know the gold continues or the system continues to the north. There's a younger set of rocks that seem to be hiding where this vein system goes to the north, so we've got this huge wide open target that has never been addressed. So we need to get in there and really see where this thing is going and get a better geological understanding of just what's happening to the north and really find out. Well, you have an equally exciting property, from what I understand, in the Snow Lake area, which has been very good for companies such as Hudson Bay and Sandstorm. 
Let's talk about Buzz Lake. Buzz Lake is kind of a, another interesting target that we picked up in July or August of last year. It's basically quite a simplistic target in that it was an original Hud Bay exploration target. And Hud Bay, of course, in the mid-1980s were the predominant major in the Snow Lake camp. And I think the Snow Lake camp over the years has produced a tremendous amount of gold, somewhere at 9 to 10 million ounces plus, was predominantly a base metal camp. There were a number of gold mines. Basically, this target in particular was an old Hud Bay exploration target. And so what Hud Bay was doing had all these operating mines, and at the same time, they're going through thousands of claims per year trying to find new targets that are worthy of developing and carrying out exploration with. And so they devised a very simplistic system whereby they would run a MAG-VLF geophysical survey and see if they would end up with any kind of a geophysical target. Once they had a geophysical target, they would bring a drill rig in and punch a hole and see what they would come up with. And if that particular drill intersection matched their criteria, which was something in the range of 50 meters of 0.25% copper or something along those lines, they would continue with their exploration on the project, and if it didn't, they would drop it. This particular target, they ran their MAG-VLF, they actually ended up with two parallel geophysical conductors. They sit 1,000 feet apart, they're each 850 meters long. In one of them, they drilled an intersection of 12 feet averaging 8 grams per ton gold, which by today's standard, is a very impressive intersection, but that was never followed up. And it's a very shallow, shear-hosted gold thing. It's uh, very, very easy to go in and follow up. We're planning on drilling roughly 10 holes along strike. We'll start with the area where that original discovery hole was. We'll drill 10 to 15 holes along strike, 100-meter holes, and we'll find out if this thing is real. And when does that drilling start? Actually, we're uh, awaiting permits now. We raised $300,000 flow-through in December of last year. That's already earmarked for that project. So as soon as we get our permits, which could be as early as early part of this fall, as soon as we get those permits, we're going ahead with the program. Let's move over to Newfoundland. Again, in mining-friendly Canada. There's virtually no place in Canada that is not mining-friendly, at least as a nation. Mining is more or less the business of Canada. Let's discuss the Jackson's Arm Gold Project, where you have a 43-101 compliant resource of 495,000 ounces of gold. That was the main project the company was focused on since its inception in early 2000. Basically, the company drilled 135, 140 holes. We defined that resource. It is 43-101 compliant, as you said, and it's a 495,000 ounce resource. The Jackson's Arm Gold Deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which means basically it's a bulk tonnage, low-grade type of thing, 0.84 grams per ton average, and it is worth noting that it is a refractory gold deposit. And Basically what that means is that, as opposed to an area like Nevada, this rock is not oxidized, and so therefore, in order to liberate the gold, you have to oxidize the rock first, and that can get very expensive. And so. In order to move that project forward, there is some blue sky potential in terms of more ounces in the ground and more tonnage, but it wouldn't make sense unless we can come up with an economic way to liberate the gold. So we've been trying a couple of different avenues as far as metallurgical testing and different methodologies for getting that gold out, and at some point, if we can figure that out, then it would be worth revisiting Jackson's Arm to move it forward. But at this point, we're kind of keeping our focus on the exploration targets. certainly feel like Eastgate is, is about our best shot right now, and of course, Buzz Lake. And Buzz Lake is imminent. Eastgate will be aiming at drilling fairly soon as well. Now, it doesn't matter what you have in the ground. If you don't have a strong management team, you don't have a company. Let's talk about your chairman and CEO, Don Moore. I consider myself very lucky to have the management team around us. We do. We're all lucky in our own way. We have a pretty good blend of age and wisdom. Don and Neil, of course, have been in the industry for a very long time. Both have very esteemed careers. Don Moore spent the early part of his career in Red Lake, Ontario, which is an absolutely prolific gold camp. Don was actually the 
Director of Economic Development for Red Lake. He also was a director of Corona during uh, the development of Hemlo. And, of course, Hemlo, I still think to this day, is a mark to measure as far as gold deposits worldwide, let alone in Canada, but certainly in Canada, it's one of the biggest success stories out there. Don, again, he was a director of Corona. He was involved in, intimately in the development of that whole play. Don's gone on to be involved with a whole host of other bigger projects and big deals. Worked as a broker for many years as well. And uh, he's worked with some of the biggest names in the business. So for me... As a fairly young guy, it's really fortunate to have that kind of expertise and that kind of background around me that I can draw upon uh, as we move forward and, and develop these projects. And you're no stranger to the business. You come from a mining family. I do. actually started in the exploration business, working in the back office of a junior exploration company, building packages to send out to brokers and investors when I was a teenager as a high school part-time job. So I would finish school and head to the office and build packages and stamp them and get them ready and take them over to the post office and mail them all out. I grew up in the business and uh, had a very keen interest. I always loved the exploration idea as a whole. You know, I think it's an exciting thing. And, you know, it harkens this image of that prospector out there in the hills looking for gold or whatever you might. It's quite an exciting thing. And so as a young guy, getting to spend a lot of time around some very, very well-known geologists and interesting people as I grew up, you know, I guess you could say the business is kind of in my blood at this point. I stuck with it all the way through and eventually sort of learned different aspects of the business and got to the point where I was kind of running my own deals. And now, of course, running Kermode. And as I said, I'm a fairly young guy, but it's still nice to have people around me that have that tremendous amount of experience so that I can use my own experience and of course draw upon theirs and hopefully that makes us a nice strong management team you know well the face of the resource business has to get younger to handle all the energetic challenges and demands of this decade I'm kind of a firm believer in the new guard so to speak I think there's a fair amount of young guys out there trying to take over this end of the business and start moving these projects forward and part of our story of course is that myself and another one of our directors Steve Chan also a young guy we're kind of taking these projects and moving things forward with Kermo I think for us, we have some modern ideas about how to do things, and I think that there's always room for young blood at the helm to really keep things going, and we've got lots of energy. And of course, you mentioned I've been in the industry for a long time, but uh, I've got nothing but energy. I'm ready to take these things on. And for me, with Kermode, this is a tremendously exciting opportunity. In my mind, I think Eastgate is about the best project I've had on my hands. We're awfully excited. So for me, there's no end to the energy at this point. Let's talk about Kermode's share structure. I think that in this point in time, particularly looking at sort of the global markets and, and the market for juniors themselves, there is no room for a sloppy share structure. I think that companies are going to have to be more diligent than ever now in maintaining their share structure, protecting their share structure. And I was just very fortunate with Kermode that management up to the point that I came in last July had done a tremendous job at protecting this share structure. The company only has 44 million shares out. That includes uh, shares issued in December of last year when we raised the small flow through for Buzz Lake. The previous financing that had been done, there had not been a financing done since 2007. So this company has never been rolled back. The stock's never been over 50 cents and they've never issued a warrant. So you have basically 44 million shares out and the stock's never run and, and really is absolutely prime now to do whatever we need to do to move Eastgate and Buzz Lake forward. This certainly is a contrarian's market with depressed prices, more or less. Why should potential investors take a look at Kermode as opposed to the 2,000-plus other resource companies in the foray? And I realize this question may be a bit redundant. Certainly, and I think it does come back to that same thing again. If you have the right projects in the right place at the right time, you'll succeed. And certainly, when you look at a company like Kermode, we are getting some attention in the market right now. We're quite fortunate. We were written up by John Kaiser recently and added to his big anomaly club. You know, we're starting to get some traction, and people are starting to look at this project. And at first glance, it's the type of project that 
sort of stops people in their tracks and they kind of look at it and go, wow, you know, how did you guys even get a hold of this thing? And it's a small miracle in a sense that we did. It happened to be something where we were introduced to an individual that had been holding on to it for almost 15 years. It had only been looked at by, really by majors and one junior that was sort of spawned by a major in a sense. And these are the types of situations that can come about every so often. You just have to really be in a position to capitalize on it and be ready to make your move. And so we ended up in a position where we were able to do that and have the right project. And now maybe we can do everything we need to do. But you've got to have the right projects and you've got to be able to move them forward. And I don't think anything halfway is going to cut it going forward. I think you have to have things that are truly exceptional and projects that are, you know, I think vein structures. I don't think low-grade bulk tonnage targets are going to cut it anymore. I think people are tired of high capex targets, you know, these big low-grade bulk tonnage targets that simply climb out of control when it comes to that capex phase. And I think that people now are zeroing in and saying, hey, we need to return to those high-grade exciting projects. Those kind of projects can punch a big drill intersection with a great high-grade intersection, and the public responds to it, and the industry responds to it, and the investment brokers and bankers respond to it, and people see the value almost right away. That's what the market wants now, and that's what we went after with Eastgate. It's high-grade, and it gives us an opportunity to really set ourselves apart from the noise. Adrian, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today about Commodity Resources. I look forward to visiting with you again in the future. Excellent. Thanks, Alice. I sincerely appreciate it. I've been speaking with Adrian O'Brien, the president of Kermode Resources, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol KLM. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. You've just shared part of your life with the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals hand over cash to people like us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, kids, invest at your own risk. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.